Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Everybody to Supernatural the Crossroads on Rain Man Digital Crossroads 003. I am your host, Thomas Cowley. Joined with me today is Ryan Denton. Yo, 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 yo. And Michael Flores. And a quick reminder for everybody out there, we are no longer using the Rain Man Digital app. That has been discontinued, but for those of you who would like those live show notifications, do not yet fret. You can now text RMD69 to 50597. And you will get a standard text message whenever a live Rain Man digital show is about to start, along with a link to where you can easily watch it. Today, we are discussing Supernatural Season 14, Episode 11, Damaged Goods. Maybe a more apropos name than we originally intended. (laughs) Hey, Ryan, hold on. Did you say wow? Because that was the best introduction Thomas has ever done. That is exactly why I said wow. (laughs) There was literally no stumbles. He got everything correctly. Five years. He did Ron Burgundy the shit out of it. That's all it takes, takes, everybody. Five years. Five years. It took you you five years. We haven't gotten to the names yet, so... Oh, that's never going to get better. Like, you can expect a few things. You can't in five years. You can't expect perfection. That was pretty good, dude. (laughs) I was waiting for him to fuck something up, dude. Well, there's still plenty of time on this show for that to happen. very true. Now, this episode has answered... Well, there's hope for you. There's hope for Dab, right? (laughs) No. Oh, foreshadowing. So (laughs) this episode, it it answered some of our theories. Um, It answered some questions. It did, unfortunately, seem to, at the moment at least, poke some holes through what we had hoped for, what we had theorized ourselves but it also clarified some of the myth arc for the season 14 moving forward. You know, moving past this midpoint of the season, it's it's something that needed to be done. And it seems like we've got a very clear direction moving forward with some some key things we love about Supernatural, primarily being the, the heart and soul of the show, Sam and Dean. That is the running theme of this episode Dean having to say that teary-eyed goodbye to so many people in his own standard Dean way of not actually saying jack shit to anybody. And that moment with Sam at the end, I think, is a, a highlight of the episode for anybody who has seen it so far. Mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt that any script, whether the strongest or the weakest of the entire series, Sam and Dean find that moment and bring it to light. And they they did that again with this one here. Seeing him kind of come to terms with that, though, it is it, it is bittersweet. It's something that we've seen before, and and I'm sure as long as the show's going, we'll see it again. But it it did still hit, and that's a praise to Jensen Eccles' ability as an actor and Jared Padalecki. Well, I think it also it, the reason that gave it it gave it more weight is that 
Billy comes and gives him two options, right? And when we knew that there was thousands and thousands of options for Dean and he get, she gives him two options. So I think the added weight of that decision or like her giving him those two options of how this ends, I think adds the weight to Jensen's performance also to in your subconscious as a viewer go, okay, well we really truly only have one of two options here. And I think we know that one of them is not good. So well, potentially, I mean, that is what it seems like on the surface, but well, right. And I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying in that scene, obviously right. we, we've seen crazier shit happen on supernatural and, and things change and team free will. Change. If there's one thing we've learned, somebody at a higher power saying it has to happen this way is not something that we subscribe to. Right. And I think that, but I think what that, that scene did was add the weight to, okay, this might have some actual implications than what we're typically used to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously if you're a supernatural fan, you know, that the team free will doesn't really <laughs> play, by those, play by those rules typically. So I think, but it did add to that, like, Oh shit factor of like, okay, this is, he has accepted it. He's accepted what he has to do. And I think that's what it gave it a little bit more weight in that scene for sure. There is mystery surrounding Billy and what she exactly told Dean. And we'll get into that a little bit. I mean, they did introduce some new lore, which was cool. That's a concept, though, that I think nobody would just give away for free. So something had to happen between death and Dean that we didn't see behind closed doors. We'll get into that. Uh, we had Sheriff Donna return in this episode, which is always fun. She she and Dean have a nice, a unique relationship. Their banter back and forth works really well. They just seem to get each other. Obviously, starting out eating hamburgers is perfect Dean moment. So... That was nice to see that. Listen, Donna's not eating hamburgers anymore. I mean, look at her. I mean, she's oh no, she she's is she's all not. like Hollywooded out and attractive. Yeah. Guess she could, what? She could eat my hamburger. Oh, oh. What? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, yeah, you've seen her Instagram page and Twitter, you know that that is not something she eats on the regular. The the little bit that we did have I'm talking about Ryan's hamburger. <laughs> The little bit that did kind of punch a hole in not just our theory, but this episode is is Nick and Abraxas. We did get some answers, but it definitely feels like there's a lot more there. I, I certainly hope so. There, there has, has to, to be, be no, you, you know, beyond the surface. Yeah, they can't possibly introduce yet another idea because this is classic Dab. Introduce well, well, you say that. Well, it just I think Dab has learned <laughs> from his mistakes. They, they can't simply start something, build up, build it up, and then, hey, it's done. Well, what's the meaning of it? Ah. Oh, I forgot about that part. Shit. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is the. Oh end. wait, this 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 has to have a meaning. And obviously, we know Nick's story's not done. We know Lucifer's story is not done. Uh, but I'm also hoping that the Abraxas side of things is also not done, and not just because of our theory, but because of uh, the, the whole. You take our theory the out whole, of it. It still needs. It still needs more. Yeah, you, you can't because then it just feels like a, a kind of a weird reason to turn Nick on Lucifer, like to turn him against Lucifer. And I'm like, did you really need that to be? Wouldn't the, the whole like enslavement? Yeah, yeah, the whole counts like, just fine. Yeah. yeah, so that's why I'm based on what we've seen this season so far, and just how good everything has really meshed together and has how everything's been unfolding. I, I don't think that they would choose to go such a very simple route that feels like a mistake hollow yes yeah yeah there's got to be more to it we'll we'll get into that but of course we've always got some news first supernatural star samantha smith previews mary's romantic reunion with john oh man they fucking (laughs) 
Well, how did you feel about the four pages of graphic sex in the script? Well, you know. Well, it was great. I got some good penetration. <laughs> I got Bobby, some good penetration. Bobby was watching in the corner. John, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like, yeah, you know what? I've been slaying zombies for like the last three years. I didn't mind slaying some <laughs> pussy for a while. <laughs> uh, at least her leg wasn't backwards and on fire like it used to be. Oh, God. <laughs> Like that's his only memory of his he life. He only yeah. remembers that. <laughs> that's all. I mean, what else could he remember? Well, she did look hot, all strung up on that roof. Let's, yeah, dude. And not hot because I like, oh, I'm not I like to push girls' legs back like that. Okay, break them. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> all right. So this comes from Entertainment Weekly. For years, someone called the police. I'm right. <laughs> Someone needs to check his house. Nah, dude. There's no dead bodies in there. Okay, sure. I yeah, gotta, but if you see a bucket and a rope in his basement, then please. <laughs> It puts the lotion on its skin. Oh, God. For years, fans have wanted Jeffrey Dean Morgan to reprise his role as John Winchester on Supernatural. After all, he had a lot of unfinished business with his son, Sam and Dean. But what no one could have seen coming was that when John finally returns to the show in the upcoming 300th episode, Mary, the woman whose death launched John's life, hunting, life of hunting, would still be alive. So now that John and Mary have the reunion, neither of them ever thought was possible. Uh, they asked Samantha Smith, what was your reaction to reading the 300th episode script? She says, I gasped. Uh, I was totally surprised, but then it made total sense because I thought John was going to have to come back at some point, And I thought it would always be the very last episode of the show. I thought I was never going to come back until the very last episode of the show either. But the way they've done it was uh, the way they've done it is so smart because it's temporary. It has the built in supernatural tragic element to it. Ooh, possible spoilers. Oh, spoiler alert. Although, you know, to be fair, does anybody think that this is going to be a happy-go-lucky? And then the dad comes back, too, and they're all happy forever. It's going to be like a lost-in-time moment. You know that old movie with with, Christopher Reeves? He he travels in time, and then he's ripped away from her at the last minute. Dude, and that's fucking tragic. Or like even with with Bobby and the Soul Eater, that pocket dimension where Bobby and Dean saw each other for a a half second. Yeah, that's right. What was the other one? Was it like Time Machine with... um, Oh, what's his what's his face? It, it, he basically like loses his wife and uses the time machine to go forward and way far in time and like Back he, to the Future. It's not Back to the Future. It's, <laughs> I, literally, I literally think it's called Time Machine. I Terminator. It's yeah, Terminator. That's it. Jackass. <laughs> Regardless, like I don't think this is Star Trek Four. Shut the fuck up. Ah. You can just stop now. Um, I just feel like this isn't going to be. Yes, there's going to be like that moment where it's like pure bliss and like, oh, my God, my mom and dad are back. But then it's also going to be like it's going to be very quick. It's going to rip your heart out. Yeah. And I I think that uh, this is why I have such a problem with it is you're going to bring back someone who we've been aching to have come back and have a legitimate reason to come back and have like a long issue or like, you know, even a season of them being back. And I think this is this is teasing us way too much. Like, I feel like this is now when he does, if they do do like the last season and he does come back, I think this right here is going to kind of taint the fact that he is coming back. It's it's really That's going to depend th- on how this all plays out. And I've said this before. I've said this when we first found out he's coming back, that I feel like this might ruin the legacy and the, the legendary status of John Winchester by bringing him back too soon and not bringing him back and giving him the due episodes that I think he deserves. And I think that's that's how I'm going into this. Like, I really I hate to be so negative, be so negative about this, because I do love the fact that he's coming back. 
but I think it it bugs me a little bit just because I don't think he's going to get what he, what he's do what he's do. Yep, that's that's understandable. I think it'll it'll all ultimately come down to how they play this out because it it has the potential to be like Baby, an episode that we right. absolutely love that was for all intents and purposes perfect, or it could be a, a big blunder and and taint a potential end when the show does eventually wrap it wrap up entirely but we'll have to see um they say what does this moment getting to see john again mean for mary she says i feel like mary's been searching ever since she came back and she's been a little rudderless her boys are the only thing that she's has left from her old life and they're not the same either so this moment is going to set her back is my guess i have a feeling she's going to take a hit from this uh, the last time you we saw you and Jeffrey Dean Morgan together was the pilot. How do you feel Mary has changed since then? All of Mary's appearances, uh, the, port, the younger version as well, portrayal aside, that was a whole different thing, were canonized perfectly, uh, ghostly. I'll call her Nightgown Mary, except for the one appearance where she was hallucinations, where she could be mean and when she was Eve. But Mary was always the particular, this particular thing. And when she came back, she was a whole person with flaws and opinions. And that was an adjustment. But ever since she's come back, she continues to change and evolve rather quickly. I love where she's come. I love Mary, all of her, even her fo- foibles. Uh, it's tremendous fun trying to keep up with her. And that actually kind of references something we talked all about in season 12. I really liked her understanding of her character. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like this actually made me appreciate her Samantha portrayal Smith. of of uh, Mary Winchester that much more because she's totally invested in it. The fact that she has her own interpretation of the character and and where she's at as a person, and she under and she fucking watches the show, Thomas and yeah. Ryan. Mm-hmm. She she she's pulling out. Who she's else dropping knowledge. Eve? She's referencing things that she seasons that she was not even a part of. Yeah, that's admirable right there because my biggest problem is you get these actors who are like yeah i love supernatural it's my greatest what do you, you know, think? it launched my yeah, career that's what i was gonna say do you know anything <laughs> about the show um it's i know my still, I, right I, I know my parts i know sam and dean are in it <laughs> <laughs> i just think th- i think that as i'm gonna marry her what's her name in real life samantha smith yeah i think can, can I, I have two wives legally yes in some can. states it's okay. called polygamy it's gonna happen I looked, I looked it up um <laughs> I think as fans, I think when we see it, it doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what show, doesn't matter anything. I think that when we see someone who respects the source Something material, like. yeah, like for example, like when, when I saw pictures of like John Bernthal buying Punisher comics so he could yeah. read or like um, same thing with Benedict Cumberbatch buying Doctor Strange shit so he could portray that character better. This is, this is. It's admirable to us as fans because we take this shit seriously. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I don't mean that in a super weeb way, but it's true. We take these shows seriously. These are things that we've grown up with, They've especially Supernatural. influences on our life. Exactly. And I think an actor that takes – Massive influence on pop culture as well. Right. Yeah. And I think an, an actor that takes something that we appreciate seriously, it makes us more invested in that actor. And it, it, even when they're done with the show and they go and do something else, you're like – I really respect this actor and, and the, the, the way they go about their business. I'm going to go check out whatever they're doing now. Yeah. And, and it's like what you guys, it's like what we do with Kripke. Oh, Kripke's got a new show. Let's go fucking go watch check it. it out. I think that's, I think that's respectable as a person. And like Mike said, she's referencing shit from episodes that she wasn't even a part of. So that I think is admirable just in the fact that she is a part of the SPN family. 
and right. I and I dig that. Not just like she cares. What do you guys think? Should I come back? <laughs> like, is there a paycheck? Yeah, is there a paycheck? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Wayward sisters. I like her, and especially this week. There's something like about her in this episode that really um, gave you a boner. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to say it differently, but okay. <laughs> nah, you were going with that. that. That's what you were going with. Let's be honest. No, it was just there's a a sadness to her. Usually when she's on screen, mm-hmm. which I obviously is purposely done. Right. And it was nice to see her still have that sadness. Like she holds on to that. You can see that's what she's using as an actor to kind of govern right. her body language and her basically all of her the more subtle things. Yeah. But this episode, there was also some happiness. Yeah. So I liked it. Um, they say, do you feel like you're getting to play a different version of her in the 300th episode? She says, yes, happier Mary, because all the Winchesters oh, always know. have so much weight on them. And particularly in this moment, everything's right in the world for this bubble of time. Only, And John only knows Mary from before, so she gets to be that in that moment. And that's a good point. You know, he didn't know her past. He didn't know her as a hunter. He learned all this stuff on his own through his own horrifying trials and tribulations. So there will be that moment where everything's right with the world for just a second. And then, you know, the cruel hands of fate will rip that away. But it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to the fact that he was the outlier now in some way. Mary was always a hunter. Sam and Dean grew up to be that. John was the only one who was like a full on adult by the time he started to learn these things how will he react to having the person he cared so much about have hidden such a big part of herself from him for so long will that affect it do you think we're gonna have time to explore that i don't think i don't think we'll have enough time to accurately explore it in the way it deserves i think it might be touched on um again i'm very very excited for the 300th episode but i'm also very nervous going into it because it has so much potential to go one way or the other who was the showrunner for the 200th episode carver yeah so this is uh dabs it's all uh, dab and the writer is oh dab boy. and meredith glenn oh for boy. that one. Oh boy well meredith glenn has made she does bl- great with that emotional stuff yeah she does she, she actually does she especially does relevant relevant moments as well so, so it, it has potential it does who's directing it uh let's see here robert singer hmm. okay well anything's possible then it could go either way. It really can. Yeah. But luckily, history is on our side because for the most part, as we had discussed in a video cast discussion, mm-hmm. the gimmick episodes, nine times out of ten, are pretty fucking solid. The last little bit here is she, they ask, how do you describe that moment when she first sees John? And she says, it's very romantic, very romantic, simple moment. That's what's great about the whole reunion of the family. It's pretty simple, so it can go deep. And I that, you know, referencing one thing that did happen in this episode, Dean saying he had a surprise for her and it was just that he set the table. I thought that was kind of a a telling moment of how tough their life has been, how they've had so little for so long that the slightest things mean so much to them. Yeah, simple and moments bring, you know, a smile a home to their cooked face. meal. Yeah. The table set, a, a good night's sleep, you know. Things like that mean the world to them. So I think this episode is, is it really does hinge on how the writing goes, but it it could be one of the greatest episodes the show's ever had. Yeah. Very easily. 
So, oh man. Well, it's time to break down this upcoming episode, or this episode, in just a minute. We'll get into damaged goods, so stick with us. We got a gem from Florida. Uh, Pensacola woman mistakes 37-week pregnancy for bad Chinese food. (laughs) What? (laughs) She was actually 37 weeks pregnant. She was on the verge of giving birth to her second son. She's already been pregnant before. This is like, how? Were you drunk the entire pregnancy before this? Probably. So uh, she called off work at 5 a.m. And an hour later, as the pain worsened, she woke her fiance up because they needed to call an ambulance. The stomach, the stomach pains were excruciating and I could hardly move. I think it was about 6.30 a.m. Wake up. This goddamn orange chicken's ripping a hole in me. Hold on. Wake up, Jen. Wake up. I think I ate too much at the local Chinese buffet. I told you too much of that moose shoe pork was going to do this. Oh, please. I, I need to go to the emergency room. Oh, please. One time I heard my cousin Elvira tell me something similar happened to her. She ate at the local little Chinese restaurant and she almost died. She had cream with so young guy. Um, I should have had the steamed rice. <laughs> it escalated so quickly that I was having contractions and we figured out kind of what was going on because at first we really didn't know what was going on. But there was a doctor that... Uh, she said it was possible for a woman to learn of her pregnancy just hours before going into labor, but in her 20 years of practice, she's only witnessed it three times. Oh, please. Something's happened to my, my bowels. My bowels? You gotta take me to the emergency room, Jethro, please. I don't know what's happening. Oh, oh good All right, golly, get, get in the goddamn please, airboat and we'll drive on down to the For local... some reason, the Chinese buff is coming out of my pussy. I don't know why. <laughs> Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open Sesame! And it helps strengthen the one rule in Star Trek that basically a lot of, I think a lot of fans and a lot of writers in Star Trek really do not take that much seriously is that Prime Directive. The Prime Directive is you do not by any means inter, uh, interact with a pre-warp society unless they're hot <laughs> if the whole if the whole world is a bunch of T'Pol's and seven yeah. and nines then yes you must break that prime directive that's what that's what makes those moments, or at least bend it slightly <laughs> to the right and up that's what that's what made <laughs> that's so stupid. That's so oh, what is it that's bo- what is it that's bothering him yeah because everyone deals with that there's a lot of uh, I always read like self help books and stuff like that that tell about inside. Of I read self help books when it comes to sex. I, I need lots of help. I need lots, lots of help. That's how I learned about the slightly, the slight bend to the right and the up. Bend to the right. Yeah, and up. that was due to a, a sex help book <laughs> and sexual yoga books. Yeah. Well, the sex for dummies. <laughs> Star Trek from the holodeck, exclusively on Rain Man Digital and simulation. 
Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, DEAL30, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus... Free shipping! Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code DEAL30. Again, that's DEAL30. Because without it, no free stuff. That's DEAL30 at adamandeve.com. Get more Supernatural Crossroads every month with the Patreon-exclusive shows. Retrospective reviews starting with the very first season, specialty shows, bonus discussions with additional thoughts and topics not included in the regular show, and more. By subscribing, you help us maintain the quality of our show, and it keeps us in the studio. Also, we have a few more Trivial Pursuit games to give away, so anyone that pledges $10 or more a month for the rest of January will not only receive all the additional content we put out, but a free Supernatural Trivial Pursuit game courtesy of USAopoly. So head on over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. Previously on Supernatural The Crossroads. Well, at least we're going to see Mary as well, because I honestly... I, okay, so Sam and Dean is... They're outnumbered, right? Right. And Mary and Bobby are still tucked away fucking in some cabin. <laughs> like, come on, Mary and Bobby. When are you going to help out now? It was all fun and it's fine. All, it, you know, Mom, all hands on deck. The entire city of Kansas City is going to be ass fucked by monsters. And she's like, sorry, son, I can't talk to you right now. I'm getting ass fucked, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, come on, Bobby. Can, can you guys just stop the romance for a bit? Oh, sorry. I didn't get signal out here. I think, it's, I think it's funny that Mary didn't take a break when she was bone and catch, but with Bobby, she's she's really into it. Yeah. She likes that old singer peen. Uh, Just saying. And personally, if I was a gay male, I would go, I'd, I'd choose catch oh, over yeah. Bobby any day. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's still just, it's so wrong. Yeah. Wait, just what? Because it's. Mary and catch? No, Mary it's and so Bobby. That's right. Because that's Mary so and, right. Oh, Mary and catch is fine. Mary and Bobby is like a betrayal, it feels so much. Do you think they have to bring it up with a 300 They have to. They have to, right? I know I've been dead for 10 years, but you weren't fucking other people, were you? That's good. That's terrible. That's why we don't write Welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to get into the discussion of Episode 11, Damaged Goods. Ryan, can you give me a synopsis, please? Yes, this was directed by Phil Scrincia. <laughs> Since everyone gives a shit about how we say his name. Uh, written by Davey Perez, Dean grapples with the only way to stop Michael from destroying the world. Donna crosses paths with Nick on his mission of revenge. So we got Davey Perez back at the helm. We last saw him with Mint Condition, a 80s slasher fan favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I, we did a little bit of a litmus test with fans on what episode they thought was the best of the season so far. We peed on them? We did pee on them. That's wow. exactly what a litmus test is. I know. That's why I said that. <laughs> you know, you buy the stick at the Walgreens and, and you, pee, you on, go and pee, you, pee on it. And you pee on your fans. <laughs> and it says, oh, Hi. episode four, Mint Condition. That's pee, what pee, like. pee, pee, pee. 
That's uh, what I do when I pee. I say pee pee. You say like a laser gun? Yeah, like pew pew pew, <laughs> but pee 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 pee. Jesus Whatever, dude. Uh, last <laughs> we saw was Mint Condition, a fan favorite for this season so far. We also had, of course, fantastic episodes like Breakdown, Stuck in the Middle with You, American Nightmare. Um, so Davey Perez, we've said this many a time. I think every time he shows up, we've been big fans of his work with the show. He seems to be one of the two not to discredit anybody else's work, but the two writers who seem to have gone back from their first day working here and rewatch all the stuff and see how it all plays together, what has been important for the show thematically for years. So to see him come back is always nice. And with this episode, though, it it, it is safe to say that we don't have all the answers yet. There is a lot of angles like Dab's other seasons that do seem to be running in tandem with the story. It's interesting to see what things will continue, what things may drop off and how things will shift and change. Now that we only have nine episodes left of this shorter season, we've had Nick and Lucifer as a running element. We've had Michael and Dean, the biggest threat so far. We've got Castiel and the empty. And now we've got something with Lucifer in the empty that has to come back into play sooner than later, especially after the events of this episode. So, all of this is so very familiar and it's it's not to say that we haven't that it, that things are getting bad just yet but this season has many moving parts as did season 13 i will say had fewer than season 13 that well, one felt like just a carnival ride of everyone just kept getting on it it seemed it this is like almost like a signal flare on like okay here we're going to take that 90 degree turn in the way that we don't want to go. And I think that's why we're all kind of like, I don't want to say scared, but we're a little of, hesitant for a little some hesitant. of the events that have yeah. happened. This, yeah. this season has been, and we've said this every, every week, this season has been more focused, right? There has been a definitive a then B then C building blocks to something greater. Right. And it's all due to that attention to detail. The, the last season suffered from big ideas with little, connectivity they were they were big set pieces big plot devices but they didn't really fit into each other they were just kind of stapled on or hey i'm going to drop this here this is going to be a one-off episode and it really felt like we were watching a tv show rather than being told the story through the medium of television right and season 14 has done very good by keeping things focused and and having every episode Maybe not be the greatest, most grandstanding episode of all time that gets all kinds of hype, but it, it builds on each other. So every episode after feels all the more relevant, all the more serious to the story and just works a little bit better. Yeah, there's still the same patterns and styles, which is yeah. which is going to happen when you have the exact same showrunner running the show. However, yes, the, this, this season does feel a lot more focused. And I also can say confidently that there is a definitive direction as well. I feel that there's a definitive path. Whereas with last season, we were questioning that until the last episode, until the very last moment, we were wondering what the path is. It's, it was very murky. Whereas this season, it's pretty clear. And even if we may not be 100% on board with all of the, the decisions, uh, specifically some of the ones that made its way into this week's episode, that doesn't matter. As long as it's, it doesn't need to be what we want. As long right. as it feels good and it doesn't feel like, contrived writing and so far it doesn't feel that way and of course i think it's safe to say that we will know more with the next 
within the next two to three episodes whether or not this season has in fact truly rid itself of some of the narrative pitfalls it found itself falling into during season 13 but we can't definitively say that as well until probably episode maybe 14 or 15 14 15 yeah but but to the same same point we can notice a definitive direction well we we I think you're right, Mike. I don't think we're truly going to know what exactly is going to finish in the last five episodes until about 15. And I think they, if you really think about this season so far and what we have had is we really haven't had a lot of filler episodes. No, I've been a fan. Yeah. Honestly, like this has been a very, very tight season where it's like, okay, almost every episode has some kind of main overarching plot that we've been been very concise. It's been very concise. And I think that that has to do obviously with, with dropping the episodes down but I think with this episode here, this is the first one where we got a little bit of – it just seemed to lose track. And, I, and, 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 and that's really my thought process on this episode is that it lost track on where we've gone from the last episodes that we've seen. I think we, we pretty much are all being concise with the, the first half of this season has been pretty lights out. So this might be our first stumble or first – kind of waver off the track and i yeah. think that's the way i look i i think that's the way i'm looking at this episode I, well, but we can't say that until you we know, know two or three know. more episodes exactly but, we can't say definitively but this was the first hiccup if there are issues in two or three episodes retrospectively we can point to this episode yeah, as to this as the is starting, the moment the when point. it started yep the starting because point. there were some red flag moments well and with this episode it, it really does come down to how some plot devices ended you know, the Abraxas storyline, it looks like it might have been they put a nail in the coffin that was our theory and idea about Abraxas. He's not this greater pagan god creator deity that that is somehow greater than God or the darkness. It just was a, it seems to be just a demon. But with the build up to Abraxas through Nick's storyline this season, it it really does feel a little bit too anticlimactic to just be over, to just be a guy, a demon, mm-hmm. you know. Now, obviously, we know that Lucifer and, and the concept of him and how he, let's get real, how he will return has not yet been finished. That's not done yet. For those of you who don't remember or, or aren't sure what I'm talking about, we in episode seven on Human Nature, we had that scene where Nick prayed to Lucifer and it seems for all intents and purposes that Lucifer woke awoke within the empty. Now, with the Braxis, this is where we're talking about what the hiccup of it feels like we've seen some of these poor notes before. Mm-hmm. Because is a Braxis simply a plot gimmick that amounts to nothing more than just a way in which Lucifer comes back into the show? For what it seems like as of right now, with with no other information to go on, this is what it feels like it is. That Abraxas was simply a demon, and that was it. And I think the troubling part with that, Thomas, is you you make all this huge hubbula with Nick and Mary, and Mary you know, takes this demon and puts him in an Enochian puzzle box, and just a, a over-the-top... Thing to do for a lowly demon and i think we in the last five years and we talk about this all the time you know season one demons holy shit like fuck yeah. it's a demon now it's like oh it's a demon let's just fucking knife let's, this let's get in a bar fight with 12 so, of them yes yeah, so, so now i think we look at this and go a demon 
okay, who gives a shit? Why did Mary put him in an Enochian puzzle box? Like, it just seems a little too well, over the top. Yeah. And like you said, plot devicey to get Lucifer to come back. So that's the thing is that the, the idea of Abraxas being simply a demon does raise a lot of questions, not within the, not with, only within the context of this episode, but the context of this season mm-hmm. and the show as a whole. When we look back at what has happened so far, if we are to believe that Abraxas is a demon that was powerful enough for Mary to not be able to defeat or that he was, quote, getting the upper hand, and she felt the need to lock him away in an Enochian puzzle box, it leads us to believe he had to be very, very powerful. This is conflicting with what we saw in the very first episode of the season where they literally fight an entire bar's worth of demons. Exactly. And also killing demons is what the Winchesters do. That's bread and butter. That's that's, breakfast. That's kid stuff. Yeah. They've been doing this long before they even knew all the ins and outs of angels and heavens and hell. It's, it's in their, it's in their repertoire. It's part of business. It's It's business as usual. Yeah. And I, and that did feel a, a bit weird that she chose to lock this Abraxas inside of an Enochian puzzle box now, if it was like her arms and legs were broken and she tricked him, kind that's of a thing. different okay. story. But we didn't see this. This this feels very much like they just threw this idea out there at the last minute as a way in which to make Lucifer and the Nick storyline come back into the focus, right? And and just kind of backtracking just a bit, that I think is the issue. Not that I mean, because these types of questions can be explained away very easily. D- dealing with the Enochian puzzle box that isn't a deal breaker. But no, she was working. It had to be chronologically. It had to be within season twelve. She's working with the mental letters. Fair enough. And maybe they gave her the puzzle box and she decided to use it because we know that she had a whole new arsenal when she started working with right. them. She was testing so, weapons in yeah. one episode. So that's not the problem. That's an, an easy fix. The issue is that Abraxas has been nullified, essentially. Neutered. Neutered down to a plot device, mm-hmm. which looks on paper when you break it down, it feels like if if the story of Abraxas is done. It feels like it was just a way to get Nick to turn on Lucifer, to be angry with Lucifer, to find out that Lucifer is the one that was manipulating Abraxas and and all the events leading up to Nick's family's murder so that Nick would say yes. Okay. I mean, I think most of us already had assumed that Lucifer manipulated events. Can we take a second? I I saw people talking about that, like, well, that's what it was. And not to sound like a smug ass but didn't we know that already i think there's some assumptions that we make as viewers that just makes sense and that's one of first them? off that's just a sign of good writing when your audience can just shrug i'm like all right the assumption would make sense based on the events we've seen over the course yeah. of how many seasons and those types of assumptions are fine to make you don't need writers explaining every single detail because then it just becomes an info dump or uh, worse, just a bunch of exposition. So we don't need that. And that's why I'm going back to my original line of thinking is that this was designed, it seems like, to turn Lucifer on Nick or to turn Nick against, against Lucifer. Lucifer. But why? Why do well, we need that? Because we already know. have already been established. Well, not only that, but like, okay, you, so you turn Nick against Lucifer, but now Nick is going to jail for for who knows how long. And it's like, okay, seven so, days. Yeah. Yeah. Probably seven <laughs> days, but it's like, okay, you, you take this character obviously that was 
possessed by Lucifer, but at the same time, now he is a murderer and mm-hmm. a, ter- a bad guy. So, like, why does this matter to us? I guess is at the point where I'm at. Like, right? No, that's that's, that's the entire that point. point. Right? Yeah. That's the entire point I'm trying to make. Why is why is Nick so important? Right. It was important when we thought his story was going to lead the audience down an investigation into who Abraxas is. That was why it worked for me. I was like, all right, you just brought Nick back in a in a very relevant way that's going to actually add to the overall myth arc. Mm-hmm. Or now or, suddenly you're just left scratching your head wondering why even build this up when all you're going to do is kill the very person he's hunting down. Are you telling me you just set that up so that once again you can just make it clear this season that Lucifer and Nick are not going to have – you know, the same harmonious relationship they've had for the past 10 years, right. you know, working together that Nick is going to be angry with Lucifer. I mean, but even then, what is it? But what does, what ang- does it matter? What does it matter when Lucifer literally used him as a meat suit? Shouldn't he already be angry for the atrocities that not only he committed? That, exactly. Not only should he not only be angry for the, the atrocities he committed and the lifetime of slavery and servitude being strapped to a comet, but also it can't, I can't imagine if Dean and, and Sam's experience is being possessed weren't exactly pleasant. I can't imagine Nick's is any better. And even if Nick now hates Lucifer, Lucifer doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. He just needs his his vessel. That's it. Who cares whether or not you like me, dude? You're along for the ride. Right. Yeah. And so it doesn't really seem relevant. The other idea that made Nick's story interesting this season so far was parallels we talked about of if Nick being a human being tortured by this by this entity, this archangel goes down this vengeful and violent path, what does that say about the human condition and 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 paralleling him with Jack and what power can do with whether Jack would become a good person or a bad person and especially when he's burning through his soul to use magic we had all kinds of different theories and ideas around Nick being a human and the damage that being possessed did to somebody and how that was going to affect Dean having been possessed by Michael. And now it just feels like nothing. Well, I'll say this. This could also work itself into being more about Sam and Lucifer and less about Nick and Lucifer. And this could lead right back into Ryan's theory it could that sam will willingly take on the role of lucifer right right and dean will willingly take on the role of michael for whatever reason and this is designed to show the contrast between nick who can't handle who could not handle being possessed by lucifer because they made it clear to the audience that sam was i didn't do this Mm -hmm. this didn't happen to me well, are they trying to get us ready for the idea that Sam will willingly accept Lucifer and try to control him like Dean is controlling Michael? Will he say yes to Lucifer and give Lucifer his true vessel so that he can have any hope of fighting against Michael to save Dean? Yes. So if they're going in those that. directions, Oof. then what they did with Nick and Abraxas and Lucifer makes perfect sense to the story but it, that's why i'm saying it's gonna it's all going to come together with more episodes with more episodes yep. then we will be able to say okay we see exactly what they were trying to do because there were those moments that you do as a writer to remind the audience of certain things and that moment at the end with sam and that conversation he had with lucifer felt like it was purposely trying to say something to the audience absolutely and it, <laughs> The one, the, there is one other question though that's a little bit 
of possible retconning or possible mistake or just demons acting as demons do. Mm-hmm. And that's the question of, is Abraxas lying to Nick about him not being important? Within season five, we were led to believe that anybody who was a vessel for an archangel, if it wasn't the true vessel, had to have some important lineage within the bloodline so that they could even house an archangel for a temporary amount of time. Because the average person, they would just burn through in in moments to minutes, depending on how strong the vessel was. So Abrax is saying that he was just, they threw a dart at a wall, and that's why they picked Nick. Either A, is Abraxas just flat out lying to be a dick, Which as could be demons a possibility. do, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's and that's what I'm led to believe. Because I could see Nick talking to Lucifer when he returns, and Lucifer saying, no, you're special. I didn't just throw darts at a wall. And half-truth, like yeah. Lucifer's known to do, convincing Nick that he is part of a greater whole, that whole thing. Because otherwise it does seem like a bit of a mistake. Yeah, having yeah. retconned it 14 years earlier, and we talked about this on the pre-show that if you're going to do something, it has to be a, a addition, not a change. But I think that's just kind of a Braxis being a cunt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, demons that's, are. That's kind of what I got to because uh, <laughs> Davy Perez, based on all of his other episodes he has he has written, it's pretty clear to us, and this is something we continually say on our shows. It's pretty clear that Davy respects Watched. what came before, yeah. and he watches those He's, episodes or goes back and watch the episodes so he can completely immerse himself in the world of supernatural and what came before and understand it. Mm-hmm. So for him to make it a, a writing issue like that feels like it doesn't feel like him. It right. does not feel like Davy Perez. And that's why I'm wondering uh, because of the amount of questions that this entire plot between Nick and Abraxas has created it doesn't feel like we have access to the bigger picture quite yet when it comes to that side of the right. season's myth arc. I think you're right. When we go forward in the next couple of episodes, this will be the the point in which we either say, here's where the game changed and led us to where we are now, or it could be, unfortunately, a moment when things started to hit shaky ground. But, you know, speaking of Nick and Lucifer, the the we want to take a moment to reference the score this week because every time nick was the focus the of the episode the music was on point and it it was fantastic some of the best work from the music guys within the last few years it was wasn't it it was in, it was in terrifying and unsettling and just ooh. because that's something that we've said for i don't know about a year now that they kind of feel like they're even though the music i don't want to say it's bad because it's not no. it, but it just feels kind of phoned in the music doesn't necessarily always fit the actual scenes we're seeing. It feels like, hey, I've been doing this job for 14 years and hey, Just is your, is your music, music done yet? I'm yeah. like, OK, this is a sad scene. This is an action scene. This is OK. I get what we're doing. Here we go. It's right. all done. It's produced. Go ahead and put it into the into the uh, to the edit and let's call it picture lock. Whereas with this specific score, when it came to Nick, it felt like it was designed specifically to heighten a mood. And to kind of create a, a feeling of dread. And I love when TV shows and films, of course, they rely on all aspects of the filmmaking process. And sound design and music is, a, is such an important part. So to see them bring that back in this episode meant everything to me as a yeah. viewer. I, I think a lot of people, 
subconsciously forget that, that, that music sets a lot of mood. And I think what was the episode where they were selling the organs and shit on online and how much that, Oh, breakdown. Yeah. yeah the creepy yeah. music played a part the 50s of fifties music. And I yeah. think that, like people, oh, right. I think people subconsciously forget that, you know, the music and, and just how they use it in an episode makes, makes you feel something. And I think, yeah, I did, I did enjoy the music here, but I, I agree with Mike. I think there was a lot there that just seemed kind of in the last couple of seasons, well, like phoned in. Like, and it's not All right, just, man. So like, we're just going to use that stock song again, right? Like, we're not going to get ACDC. Do you want right? brothers look at each other or bad shit goes down yeah. end credits? Or scre- like scary moment. No, but it's not just the music that they compose for the show. I mean, it's been the music. We've talked about this for a while now. The classic rock vibe that really was absent during a lot of Carver's run outside of the classic use of Kansas at the end of the season. There has been a lot more rock music throughout. I mean, Dean playing an eight track tape, even it, the music has felt like it's been done with more purpose. But lately. but why an eight track though? I mean, well, because because Dean's Don, Gen X and that's aren't Donna's cabin, cool? right? Yeah, so Donna and likes some eight tracks. Donna dude. is younger than Dean. Why would she have CDs? Why would she have an eight track? Yeah, she should have like, had a laser disc. I, I know she's from the Midwest, and you know it's 1985 back then. <laughs> In, in Minnesota still. Well, dude, she had all the hot dude posters, so maybe she was just, like, trying to appeal to the guy that has, like, a, you know, who likes They're Doug's. Who likes outdated technology? Yeah, whatever, dude. Doug was a dweeb. He left him yeah. during dude, the divorce. tracks weren't even cool in the 80s. Like, they were <laughs> pretty much dead in the 80s. They, they were dead yeah, when I was, dead I was born in 79, and they were already dead. Somebody's, ha- they've had that prop for years and just wanted to use it. And said, fuck it, we're going to put it in the barn. I think they should have played the mixtape that Dean made for Kaz. <laughs> a little bit of bump and grind. You know, he I don't see nothing wrong. How funny would it be like he was building that cage as he's like, he's air grind. humping to the music. <laughs> like, it, like, in, like in Magic Mike 2 where he's like with the power tools. Yeah, that yeah, would have been sexy. Dude, hell yeah, dude, play Pony. He's just grinding on the metal, dude. <laughs> the ladies would have lost their mind. I would have lost my mind. Who am I kidding? <laughs> Speaking of that building... In the barn there, Dean, we know now, is willing to put his life on the line, but not that's that's nothing new. It's not his life. It's his entire existence with his ramshackle idea of locking himself up with Michael and being dropped into the darkest depths of the ocean. And and that's fucking bleak, dude. That is, you know, puns aside, that's that's dark. It sounds worse than anything he has had to go through before i'm like yeah hell's pretty bad right and yeah heaven i guess is bad if the angels are trying to torment you a bunch of dickheads yeah. but i mean this is worse you're in a box that's it you're Just in a tiny drowning. prison cell drowning for eternity and, and when you do have a lucid moment the angel's just going to torment you yeah fuck that dude that sounds terrible yeah that was that was an incredibly dark idea but it's also it it does kind of piggyback off of some of your theory ryan it's got a very shakespearean tragedy element to it that the only way this story ends the only way that sam and dean end is somebody doesn't find peace and i saw some theories on the line about how people felt that this was too much like 
season five and pulling back to Kripke's stuff of, well, you just one of the brothers has to sacrifice himself and lock them in the cage. But I'm like, that's not. Can I interrupt you for copying. a second, Tom? Let me, yeah. let me, I'm going to interrupt you. You're going to kill? Because, yes, because that those types of complaints are so fucking basic. Well, they're dumb. It, you're, you're basic because guess what? Supernatural has become its own genre. It has. When you have a show, a franchise that has gone way past 10 years, you have become your own thing, your mm-hmm. own genre. And with genres comes needed archetypes, motifs, themes that govern the genre. It's, there are themes and archetypes that belong in every film genre, whether it be film noir, spaghetti westerns, westerns, action flicks, drama films, period pieces. Supernatural, in a sense, has become its own genre. And there's going to be those things that govern the genre of supernatural. And a big part of that is the sacrifice of family, the, the, the willingness to sacrifice yourself for family. But are people really that surprised 14 years in that Dean's willing to kill himself to save everybody else? Would you like him to make a decision that completely destroys the characterization of Dean? Would that make you happy? Would that make you quit calling foul ball? Yes, because then him and Cass can fly off together and bone. Complain about real story issues, not not things that are common practice in Supernatural, please. Well, the other, the other thing is people saying it is copying Kripke's era. I'm Part of me is like, yeah. Why wouldn't I, they? Why? Okay, first of all, the idea that look what happens these... when you don't copy the Godfather. You get movies like The Last Jedi when you just oh. try to blaze your own path and forget everything that came. Burn before. everything behind you as you do so. But you're right with the whole idea of genre. The supernatural is its own genre, and and without a doubt, fate, destiny has been intrinsic to this show since day fucking one. And the idea that one of the brothers, no matter how this ends, one of these brothers will either A, deal with the apocalypse, the apocalypse will happen, or they will sacrifice everything they are for the other and for humanity, and and one is just going to have to pay that price. In season five, it was destined to be Sam, and now we're coming back. No matter how much they ran, no matter how much they fought, it's still going to be that case, except now it's Dean. Yeah, and this is consistent. That's, this, that's this, tragedy 101. Not only does this feel consistent to other seasons, which it should, as long as you're not doing carbon copies of past episodes and past seasons, that's a whole other issue. Yep. But if you're borrowing the tropes that make up your show, that's what you should do in order to create consistency across the board with all of your seasons of your show. And honestly, if anything, this is a bit unique because going back to the whole fear thing that we've been talking about for the past 10 episodes now, what was Dean's fear? The fear of drowning. It had an effect on him more than even hell itself did. The fact that he was just helplessly being drowned continually, continually. Mm -hmm. Now, think about the poetic tragedy having to of do it that. all yep. the fact that that's also going to be his solution to the problem but he controlled his how it greatest came about. fear he's going to grab it by the balls yep and that's going to be his solution to drown himself for all eternity in a box with the very entity that's tormenting him that is fucking shakespearean as yep. fucking hell and one of the highlights of this episode it is and again this is the the parallels of no matter of of We've talked a little bit lately about how it really does feel like fate or destiny is trying to course correct within the world of Supernatural. Yeah. You stop the apocalypse. You found a loophole out. But guess what, fucker? It's, it's still going to happen. Still gonna happen. Yeah. And, and, and I love that, that because that is Oedipus Rex, yes. the original tragedy. 
where you can run from it. And a man who does who thinks his son will kill him and and bed his wife, he gets mm. rid of the kid, sends him to an entirely different place. The kid grows up and then by sheer fate, destiny, mistake ends up killing the father and marrying the mother. Go look that up if you don't know what I'm t- talking about. That's hot. But it is <laughs> Game of Thrones loved it. It is the <laughs> original tragedy that no matter how much you try to outrun destiny it still it will always up you. catch up with you, you okay, the very Thanos. act of you the very act of you running results in you getting there yeah. but thomas this is why i get so angry when you bring up things about fans bitching about oh, oh it made me mad too, he's doing dude. the same thing i'm like well okay if you understood the show and how the, the very cornerstone of supernatural or foundation of supernatural is team free will right right Destiny, fate, all plays a part in that. And in a lot of ways, you can look, if you want to like make a snapshot of this show, what's it about? It's about two brothers that defy destiny. So when you're trying to defy your destiny, and, and based on what you just had mentioned, that destiny is trying to course correct, isn't it going to be essentially season after season almost the same thing? Two brothers going against what fate is trying to make them do? Yeah. And that's Isn't that why, what we've done already? Yes, and that's why we can repeat some of these scenarios because it's continually happening to them because destiny is trying to course correct. So when you have repeat narrative moments like this where Dean is essentially going to take the bullet for his family, it would make sense. He's grabbing destiny by the horns and making it his bitch. And mm-hmm. that's why I think there's a lot more going on besides just, oh, he's going to bury himself in the water and it's over. There's something more. It isn't as simple as they're laying it out. No. I don't feel like Dean's the one that would have to die. I don't feel like he's building this prison because the book said so. Can you imagine Dean reading a book, telling him what his fate is, and he's like, all right. All right. I guess that's it. I'm I'm going to call it quits. No. There's something far worse in that book that he's not going to share with anybody, and it probably has to do with Cass. Sam, Jack, or Mary, or all of them, and how all of them will die unless this happens. To me, this feels like a Hail Mary. This is Dean trying to make a decision that will hopefully alter his perceived destiny. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Dean has never been somebody to be afraid of himself dying. He's always been able to accept that. He said that from the earliest days that we can remember, go down with a gun in his hand. As long as it's on his terms... He can endure the worst of the worst imaginable ends and, you know, being drowned for eternity is easily one of them. But when he read that book at the end of the last episode with Billy, that was not his traditional, oh, I'm going to die. Well, that sucks. He was afraid. He's not going to shed tears for himself. He's never been afraid for his own life. What scares Dean is losing those people who matter the most to him, Sam Cass, his mother. Losing control as well. And losing control. And I can't for the life of me think that Billy would just actually tell him, you got to bury yourself in this coffin. Here you go. Here's the ingredients. That'll do it. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think this is Dean trying something or having a a deal, an argument with Billy saying, give, let me try this first. And if that doesn't work kind of thing, Mm. I don't see him actually being upset about his own death. I mean, that sucks. Don't get us wrong. That'd be the horrifying ending. That would suck. But how is that any worse than what he's been through 
before, as long as he knows other people are safe because of those actions, I could easily see him doing it. He's been willing to die for countless years if it meant he could save the ones he loves. Yeah. But Dean's reaction when he read the page of the books was not the face of a man that saw that had just read his own fate. No. Right. I mean, it, no, it, it, it has this, to do with Sam. Yeah. I mean, everything says it's Sam. If yeah. it was Dean, then I would probably scream foul ball as well. D- Dean has been willing to die countless times, right? Yeah, he has died countless times. And if it meant he could save the ones he loves, he'll do it continually. But that reaction was a mixture of disbelief and pain. Yeah. Because whatever that book said he would have to do, Dean didn't like it. Yeah, he, he, he had, it, it had nothing to do yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. All his actions, the everything he went through this this past episode was about him defying destiny because that's what they do. It is. And if we forgot, Sam reminded us as well. Since when do we allow fate to dictate what we do? Right. That was purposely dropped on us as well. Oh, yeah. There's no reason that would have been thrown in without having ramifications later. And. Yeah. You know, the thing is, too, all of this, this idea of being forever tortured and somebody has to land on this grenade, no matter how many times you try to run away from it, somebody has to sacrifice themselves, makes for an interesting story and does suggest that Ryan's theory isn't is not far from the very reality. I I think it could happen. It could happen. I think it's 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 a lot more. uh, It's a lot more concrete. It's a lot more concrete. Yeah. You know, the the idea, and I said this a little bit earlier, the idea that Sam would, if Lucifer came back and you have Nick say no to Lucifer because he's livid at him for all the things that he did to him and his family, the possibility of Sam saying yes in order to either A, help fight against Michael to save Dean because I've controlled Lucifer once, I can do it again kind of thing, or the idea that them having if they both say yes then the apocalypse can start out right and that way dean doesn't have to spend eternity at the bottom of the ocean drowning for all of time either way it looks like he would say yes and lucifer having his true vessel going against michael's true vessel would result in the ultimate conflict resolution for the story if if anything they they did they not contrast the difference between nick and sam fairly well that, you know, if it was one decision different, Sam said it would have been him in the situation. Yeah, and I there's a reason why, as I said at the top of the show, there's there's a reason why they decided to contrast the two at the very end. And the fact that Sam was not, not only was he able to resist Lucifer, but he also resisted the influence Lucifer had over him. Yeah. Look at Nick. Nick can't even resist the influence, meaning the the hatefulness, the anger, the desire to kill, the, the murderous rage. I mean, look at the way Nick killed the demon this week. It wasn't. Oh, a, that was fucking violent. He is filled with rage, and this is, has to, a lot to do, possibly, with the influence that he has allowed Lucifer to have over his being. And it says a lot about Sam Winchester because none of this happened to him. No, nope. he was a, he was tormented and he was broken. He almost died, but he was strong enough to not only resist Lucifer and drop himself in the pit, but also when he when it's all said and done, he also resisted the urges that a possession could have yeah. have on a person. And you know, the more we walk down this path, 
at the end of the season, the more it looks like we may get an ending like that, like Ryan's theory. I would be okay with it. It does feel like they're strengthening that idea. Well, I think what we're seeing is, and of course we know that Sam and Dean are both strong. I think we're, I think we're seeing that what we had talked about before we even live. It's like, they're going to, if they do go this route and, and I talked about how they need to have some kind of power to run heaven and hell. I feel like, I think we're looking at a process where maybe the, the archangel grace is still inside them or they learn how to defeat Michael or Lucifer inside their head mm-hmm. and they and can, render them and like, render them inactive. Yeah, like it, almost like, like useless, yeah. yeah, like almost like how, um, Michael put Dean in a drowning effect. Right. What if Dean does the reverse to him and makes him like, Hey, and look, it's permanent. I, and it's permanent. I am in control. You are not in control ever again. And I think if we go that route and it gives both Sam and Dean that power, then we get that exactly my theory of them taking over heaven and hell. And I think at that point too, we also, th- that's almost like a walk off into the sunset kind of ending. It is. It and, is. and I'd be okay with it. And, and it I makes, think we'd all make, it would make sense, right? It makes yeah. perfect sense. If anything, this season it has showed that, that a human, if you're strong enough, can live, I guess, some type of parasitic life with the angel in the back. Yeah. You know, on the back burner or in the back seat. There, there, there's a reason why they're doing it. It's not just simply about creating, you know, a villain for the season and tragedy and turmoil for our heroes. They're picking certain instances purposely. Mm-hmm. And that's why I keep going back to I keep going back to Ryan's theory because it just makes a lot of sense that the two brothers forever holding the opposite ends of the cosmos at bay for the greater good, but as a result can never, you know, like have see tr- each other, have a relationship again, yeah, never happy. have a true happy ending. But it's a happy ending for the cosmos. That's that's pretty much the Winchester story. Yeah, right there, and it would be very. I want to say cohesive with the Kripke era and dealing with their fates and team free will. And we've said this back when Ryan dropped that awesome theory on us, but not only would this work to end the story, I think it'd be very satisfying in a very sad way, but it just would make sense when it comes to their perceived destiny and the fact that, okay, destiny is destiny, but we are actually willingly doing it. We're going to control it. Yes. All right, guys, get more Supernatural The Crossroads every month with the Patreon-exclusive shows. Retrospective reviews starting with the very first season, specialty shows, bonus discussions with additional thoughts and topics not included in the regular show, and more. By subscribing, you help us maintain the quality of our shows, and it keeps us in the studio. So head on over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. Now, one thing that felt a little... I'm glad they did, but did feel a little bit like the writers were like, oh, people weren't too keen on that idea, was that Mary and fake Bobby were not together. I mean, they were, but she he's gone. She sent him packing, or he had to deal with his son, apparently, that they needed space. Obviously, this this is a bit of a setup because we know John's coming back in just two episodes, but it also seemed to it, – it just made me feel better. There's something about being a fan that with Mary – and Bobby being a, an item, a couple, makes you mad like, you know, like your parents, like if they were separated and started seeing someone else when you're a kid. Like, no, you don't get to, you can't do that. This is I weird. Think, I think they should cuckold John Winchester. It'd be funny. He walks in and they're banging. They're just, he's balls deep inside of her. <laughs> oh, you're an idiot. Oh, you're an idiot. I love it when you call me idiot. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, yeah. Put your angel blade inside uh, me. He always wears the hat. Dude, oh, he, while he's he, fucking. John, John Winchester would kill himself. He's like, again, <laughs> he's like, you know I'm what? Dead. Can someone put me on the ceiling, please, and burn me alive? <laughs> I don't want to see this shit. No, I I like that too. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not 100 against fake I'm not Bobby. 100 against. I just feel like it's weird. It's weird. It's weird, but um, it feels unwarranted. But at least they are. I I, I do like that they are creating that separation now. Because if they would have done it like the episode before, hey, or guys, John I, shows up and last. Hey boys, heard. I just got back from getting railed by Bobby. What's happening? <laughs> oh, oh my John, God. you're here. Oh what a hi, John. He didn't come inside me though. Oh, here, <laughs> hold on. Let me clean out my cooter. Let's go. He came <laughs> inside my butt. My <laughs> he came in my butt. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that you're right. It's a good thing that they had a little bit of space between that those two incidents. It, we it needed. It needed to happen, and, and it also you know what? This episode and moving into the three hundredth episode, I don't think I need anything more. I think that was exactly what we needed to hear: is that they they need space. Yeah, and it was something that actually didn't feel like they just pulled it out of their ass. It made sense to what we've seen in other episodes dealing with bo- fake Bobby's son, and that's the reason why he needed you know to leave for a while. So and, it works, and it works for Marion and Dean to have that personal one-on-one time. It worked for the story because if Bobby was there, I don't see him opening up in any way like he did, even just asking for the, the meal Winchester surprise, which as I said a little bit earlier in the show, it was such a heartwarming and bittersweet moment that his little surprise for his mom was just setting the table. And it really does show you the tragedy that is this show is that as foreshadowed by the interview with uh, Samantha Smith and just seen with Dean's little gestures, it's the smallest things for them that mean the most to sh- just to highlight how dark and how unhappy their lives have really been. And so it was nice. If Bobby had been there, it would have taken away from that. It would have been this, this big elephant apocalypse elephant in the room. So I thought that was a good little touch there. We did get some new lore with this episode, though, as well. The Book of Jubilees, uh, not widely held as anything really relevant within the Catholic theological community until the scrolls were found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls that kind of backed up some of what this was talking about. I, I like that Supernatural, and, you know, not trying to harken back to negativity, but the fact that they are so diligent about what they bring up as far as lore and the things they include mm-hmm. to it makes the Abraxas name, if it is just a demon, sting a little bit more because of the connotations behind the real-world lore within that. For it to just be used as a demon name does kind of sting when in the same episode we have Sam talking about this book that has an interesting take on how it classifies angels. Also could be a little bit of, not exactly foreshadowing, but a hint some other things that could come along down the line with with Lucifer possibly coming back. Is he going to be altered in any way? We talked about that before. Michael is so much more powerful than the angels they know. Could there be something within this book well, that helps them? We've complained in the past, Thomas, that, like, for example, the, the magical egg McMuffin. The egg McMuffin, we, right. We have complained that, hey, you know, sometimes they will bring up fixes in the very episode that they need the fix. Right. They'll create the plot device or the gimmick or the object, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
and they didn't and, do that this time. And right. So I'm hoping that when you because it was very blatant the way Sam started talking about yes. it, it was very in your face, the book of Jubilee. And I have actually spent time reading the book of Jubilee because I love reading the Dead Sea Scrolls in general. And surprisingly, it really does have almost everything to do with angels. It's one of the few books of the non-Bible because it's not considered canon, as you had said. But it's one of the few books of scripture Mm -hmm. that actually has real detail on angels. Names, what they did, their positions in heaven. Also talked about the Nephilim, the fallen, and how and why they had relations with female women. So a lot of it has to do with things that are actually happening or ideas that were introduced within the last couple years. Last two years or so. Or three years, I guess. Yeah. Gab's run. So if they're cleverly going to use the Book of Jubilee to solve an issue later in the season, this is how you do it. You introduce it way before we actually need it so it doesn't feel contrived. Well, as you said, the Book of Jubilees has perhaps more information on angels than any other book, known book within Christian mythology. Yeah. If you're looking for a way to stop an angel and or you have a Nephilim on your side that needs help and you have a potential archangel coming back from the veil, essentially beyond the veil, that seems like a good breadcrumb to lay now so that later down the line it, it comes into play. That reminds me very much of Kripke's era with Sam didn't just have psychic powers in episode 19 or 14 nightmare when he needed to move that bookcase. He had visions. It was talked about beforehand. Yes. There were breadcrumbs. Perfect throughout. example. Yeah. This feels like that. It very well could be. It could be an a answer to the problems of this season coming up. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's time. We've, we've been talking long enough. Ryan, what are your final thoughts on this episode overall? How did you feel about it? And um, moving forward. I, I think I said it earlier pretty much. I, I felt like this was our first kind of stumble i don't it wasn't a bad episode i don't i don't want to call it a bad episode because i don't think it was a bad episode but i also don't think it was on par with what we've seen so far this season um i feel like the whole abraxas mary winchester box situation just seemed like it was just it it was a like i said a plot device to get lucifer back into the story or somehow link back into lucifer because we know he's probably end up coming back I think that it bugged me because of just what we know about the Winchesters and how they deal with demons and how, you know, you meet a demon, you basically kill them. Obviously, fairly easily yeah, these yeah. days. So, and the fact that Nick just immediately stabbed him right after, and, and like they built this thing up, and then oh yeah, yeah, by the way, he's dead. Like Angel Blade, dead. Like I think that really bugged me. Um, and and you guys both know, and, and a lot of the listeners know that I'm not a, the biggest, you know film nerd or or you know plot kind of guy that looks at things really deeply but even me as the most the simpleton on the show saw that and went okay this is <laughs> this is a waste of my time like i think <laughs> I, I do get nervous when ryan can pick out the same <laughs> when ryan can pick out the same issues that we have i i it's that much more blatant yeah i get nervous because then we're right and um that's concerning and i don't like to be right when it comes to things like this you don't like yeah. to be right about the negatives no i want to be wrong right so no wrong. <laughs> I, I think, I think for me, like I, I did, there were some really awesome scenes and I, and I really did enjoy Dean or Jensen's portrayal of kind of the guy that, you know, doesn't have any other options. And I think 
That I really did enjoy. And I think we see that more and more as the season goes on is that Jensen and Jared are really nailing this kind of vibe that they have um, with the, with the, we have no other options. We need to go this route mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, other than that though, like I, I didn't feel like it was a, like I said, it wasn't a bad episode, but I don't think it was on par with what we've seen so far. And, it, and, and, and like Mike said, I don't think we know if this is a true on stumble until, you know, maybe next episode or the one after that could blow our minds. So I, I just feel like, you know, we won't know until like Mike said, until like episode 15, if this was the starting point for the downhill this, I, yeah, it's it's too early it's to too start. Early to you say. know, jumping yeah. on people's cars and Rioting climbing and up yeah. phone poles and destroying stores and looting. It's it's yeah. very it's too soon. Yeah, and I think so. So for me, just this was probably a B minus C plus episode. I, I would I maybe wavering in between those two. I, I wouldn't give this anything to write home about, but it also wasn't terrible by any means. So, um, all right, respectable. Yeah, yeah. Mike, final thoughts. Um. Okay, there was a lot of smarts behind this episode. Um, for example, the use of the score for Nick mm-hmm. it created an aura of dread and unpredictability, which is very much who Nick is—unpredictable right. as a person. Uh, there was some really great cinematography moments when Dean left his room, and uh, Serge and Phil chose to keep Dean out of focus at the beginning which is a great way to add mystery to Dean's actions. It's poetically driven and it's devised. It's designed to inform the audience that Dean is up to something and yeah. he possibly has a secret. And the story also was good despite having many moving parts. It doesn't feel like the narrative is meandering, but it does feel purposeful. And I am looking forward to seeing what comes next. As Ryan had said, it's a little too early to start voicing complaints. Right. Uh, but there were some little issues as we had already gone through pretty in depth. Okay. So, one episode. A B for you or a C? I'm not going to grade oh, it. Oh, come on. Come hmm? on. Huh? Don't be a wiener. Huh? <laughs> it's a B, I uh-huh. guess, if I had to. It's a B minus. It's definitely not Davy Price's best work. Davy always wows us. Right. And, and maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we thought this was going to be like divine intervention. Yeah. Like literally. It, because Davy Perez is, is becoming one of our favorite writers. So I think that might be a lot of it as well. But that doesn't see the writing of the episode wasn't poor. And that's, that's the problem that the writing was good. So I don't feel like any of this, any of those issues we had is Davy's fault. These are types of problems that are created when a showrunner wants to do something with the overall story. And there needs to be certain things that have inserted into the script. Yeah. Like the Enochian puzzle box, which didn't really make sense at this moment. No. Why she would use that. Uh, the whole idea of Abraxas. And now he's gone. For what? What was the reason? What was the purpose of Lucifer and Abraxas's storyline for the past 10 episodes? What was the point of that? Yeah. And that's why I'm willing to be patient because I know we've only seen 50% of what Dab and company has in store. Yeah. I mean, I think this episode did have a lot of good things. To Mike's point, the cinematography was great. There's some good shots that have... I loved when he got pulled over by Donna, just the way that was framed in the darkness. It was a very dark episode, and I love 
even the shot from like the police car using the police like the camera drug, yeah, yeah i thought that was really neat i i loved that when him driving and him pulling over staring at us reminded me of that dark night scene when joker's outside of the car mm. and i love that scene i love the dark lighting within supernatural it's very reminiscent of kripke's era and and the seasons in which really hit home for me it's just something stylistically that i like the content of the episode was very dark seeing nick go through this and 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 pushing himself beyond rationale and just going full bore down this dark path as we said earlier him killing the demon with just that violent stabbing in the eye that was that was fucked up but it got the point across the the biggest problem is is this is unless we find out in the next couple of episodes this could be the moment in which we see Dab falling and company falling into bad habits where we bring up something just because and we don't know how to end it just so we get to the next thing we were talking about. Now, if the next two to three episodes better explain this and can remedy or, or placate those fears, fantastic. I'm very happy to see that. If it doesn't, that's a problem. And I don't know with my my disappointment with the Abraxas storyline, and this is something Mike and I talked about before the show off air, I'm not sure how much of it is, did this just not work in general, or was it that I'm disappointed because it wasn't our theory? Right. Am I getting too much like a fan wanting this entire fan fiction that we came up with to be more the focus, and in fact, it was never supposed to be that in depth. Now, I think for spending so much time as they have this season on that, the ultimate payoff of Abraxas is very shallow. What does it matter? Why did we need a puzzle box? The timeline is a little either A, wrong, or B, is just a little bit weaker. And and assuming that all this stuff happened off screen because they needed some reason for Lucifer to come back into the picture is very disappointing. Unless that's we're playing it differently and we lead more towards Ryan's theory. So for overall, it's a B minus episode because right now at this time of review, that's what is looking like. If it comes back and it it turns out great when we do our season 14 or our quarterly analysis, we might have something different to say, but overall it's a B minus right now. So Ryan, can you give us a quick synopsis for the upcoming episode? What we can look forward to? Absolutely. So, Uh, This will air uh, Thursday, January 31st. Uh, No looking back. Sam and Dean must figure out how to stop the bloodshed when Donatello, who is in his current condition, is inadvertently scrambling the order of future prophets. Uh, Nick comes face-to-face with his past. The episode was directed by Thomas J. Wright and written by Brad Buckner and Eugenie Rosslyn. Do you guys like how I giggled a little bit? when I? So this is something I mentioned to you, Mike, (laughs) earlier. I'm afraid that that synopsis might telegraph what's coming up because... Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner write the Nick and Lucifer heavy episodes. And if we're seeing this right next episode after the Abraxas wrap up, it might be this will be the episode that determines whether this is a good setup for Sam becoming a vessel and what we've hypothesized might happen or if it will be simply so we can bring Lucifer back into the story. With this very next installment, there haven't been, as you said earlier, Ryan, there have not been filler episodes it feels like we're yeah. just still going all all full, gas full no bore, right yeah so thomas j Wright, we, we've enjoyed a lot of his work as a director and brad buckner and eugenie ross lemming have done some of their best work lately so i am hopeful it's, inhuman nature was or unhuman nature was fantastic and i'm hoping to see more of that creativity that 
humanity and respect to the themes of supernatural come to light in this episode, but it all hinges on how these next few things go. Yep. So, and I, I am curious that Donatello comes back. I thought he was brain dead. Yeah, I thought I thought he was. So is it that he's still alive? So he doesn't pass well, on, so no one else can be a prophet. So they have to kill him. I think they said that when that happened that there will be no other prophets because he's alive, even though he's a vegetable, right? And I'm assuming he still is going to. He's still going to be. I can't imagine because they can fix it says that. inadvertently. So I'm wondering if he's doing it just by being alive. Yeah. Hmm. Well, then that question is: so prophets still have to be a thing. So what does that mean for the future? storylines is prophets are brought about when they need to reveal information within supernatural right i say they just put a bullet in don tell us he's already dead we need a new we need a new prophet what do you care at this what if nick becomes the prophet (laughs) oh fuck dude that's a dab that's a dab dab why is it gotta be a dab move because it's bad yeah all right it's something i would write we all know that's terrible well we'll find out all right, we want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to us. We'll see what happens with the rest of this season. It's been good so far. One stumble does not mean the end of anything by any stretch, but it's, you know, we're all looking a lot more closely as these next few episodes come about. So thank you all for listening to Supernatural Crossroads, and we will see you all next week. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt. <laughs> <laughs>